It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hollywood Sources is proud to be brought to you by the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to Be Measured campaign. A dram of whiskey, of course, is one of life's little pleasures. But have you ever wondered how many units of alcohol are in the glass? According to the Scottish Government, around 8 out of 10 of us in Scotland don't know how many units of alcohol are contained in common drinks like a pint of beer or a glass of wine. The Made to Be Measured campaign seeks to change that. For example, a single measure of Scotch whisky, Scotland's world-famous national drink, contains one unit of alcohol, while a pint of average-strength beer contains more than double that. Scotch whisky, it's made to be measured. Savour your scotch and find out more at scotch-whisky.org.uk forward slash made to be measured. Welcome to Holyrood Sources, which today sounds a little bit different to usual. <laughs> and um, I mean, the situation's only going to deteriorate from here. I'm Callum McDonald. We're recording on Sunday, the 15th of October, and we're live at number 10. Andy McKeever's here. Are you all right, Andy? Andy's got a mouthful of food at the moment. I've got pork belly, and you could have waited about 30 seconds. It's not a big ash. <laughs> right, let me just explain what's going on. Basically, SNP conference began today in Aberdeen. Uh, we are all here, and we are in a bar called Number 10. Uh, in Aberdeen, courtesy of True North, which is, of course, the advisory consultancy political nerdery firm. Second best, lo- second best lobbyist in Scotland, I hear. Jeff Aberdeen is actually on the bar of number 10, I think, <laughs> rather than in the bar of number 10. Uh, <coughs> co-founded by Jeff Aberdeen and uh, Drax have very kindly, well, they're picking up the bill, basically. So here we are, sat in the corner of number 10. Uh, having a great time, basically. So as I look around the room, well, first of all, I can see, yes, Jeff Aberdeen, who actually has a fresh pint in his hand. Jeff! I thought he was going to come over. Jeffrey! Actually, he's picked up another one. Jeff is working the room hard. It's worth noting this was all his idea. It was. (laughs) Even doing the podcast from here was his idea. (laughs) That's what I mean. Uh, As we look around the room, though, who can we see? Right, we can see some SNP staffers. So there's advisors to MPs and MSPs floating around in here. There are actual MPs floating around in here as well. There are. Who else have you spotted? Uh, we've got lots. We've got Stephen Noon. Oh, look who's arrived. Uh, yes, uh, Jeff, those are my pork bellies. Right. There's a personal plate. Jeff's, yeah, we're starting, we've started, uh, Jeff. We've got, we're uh, making we've a got, virtual we've got, we've got Stephen Noon, uh, Yes Scotland strategist, who, as you know, was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. That's right. We've got Stephen Flynn, leader. We've got other people who are not called Stephen, also. Stephen are... Flynn, the SNP leader at Westminster. Jeff Aberdeen has joined us. Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hello, how are we? Yeah, we're good. good. How are you? I've had a few pints. I'm having a great time. The rugby's on 
on the telly. That was what that was my proviso for doing this year. The rugby's so on, the football, and the on the telly, and the football's on the telly. And right now, at 79 minutes, as things stand, Spain are one 0 up. Yeah. And Scotland's qualifying. Scotland are qualifying. Yes. So, podcast listeners who are listening to this, you know, any time in the future, <laughs> yeah, uh, welcome. So the welcome, key to podcasts is to make them timeless. But Jeff has absolutely timestamped this <laughs> to the minute. Jeff, we were just saying minutes gone in the European Championship we're, qualifier. Well done, Jeff. Good. We were just saying that we're here courtesy of True North and Drax. What what is this is it's basically a massive schmooze fest, isn't it? It is, yeah. And um, my business partner Fergus Much, who was the former head of communications at the SNP, um, and I put this together just to. We, we worked at conferences a long time, and we always thought that, that something that was missing was something extremely informal, where nobody had to think about their airs and graces and come and enjoy themselves and actually we were a bit nervous that nobody would turn up but but looking at this we're going to be festooned with quite a big bill (laughs) can i just say and i'm not just saying this but today at conference in the venue people kept sort of sidling up to one another do you know when you're in school and you've got the christmas dance everybody was like where's the after party which after party are you going to today at conference people kept sidling up uh what are you up to this evening and every time I was like, oh, I'm going along to that True North event. Oh, yeah, I think I'm going to go to that too. I'm going to go to that. I think you went to a posher school than me. <laughs> we were like, who's going to the bike shed? <laughs> I, well, the reason that we went to the bike shed as kids was not... Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. That's the worst chat cut I've ever out. heard. Cal, cut that out. No, that it's is. all staying in tonight. You are, of course, here for Hollywood Sources, listeners. Thank you for bearing with us. A little bit of a different episode. We should just do a couple of serious minutes with you guys on yep. today because Independence. But we'll uh, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do that. Independence was on the agenda today, and the SNP now has its strategy for how to pursue independence. So the idea here is that uh, if the SNP wins a majority of seats at the general election at Westminster, then that is the mandate. That is the license to thrill as far as Hamza Yusuf is concerned. So by the time boundary changes kick in, that means winning 29 MPs. Jeff Aberdeen, what do you make of it? Is this the right strategy? Is it going to work? Can I come to that in a second? Because yeah, I do want to just have a wee serious moment because we haven't actually met as a trio since um, uh, Hamza Yusuf, First Minister, responded to the, the tragic events in the Middle East. And I think it's fair to say, and I know that Andy agrees with this because I've seen his social media posts and his columns, I think uh, Hamza has equipped himself with compassion, um, uh, with grace, and I, I do think it's such difficult circumstances for him personally, which is well documented. Um, and, I, and I think fair play to him. And I think that's been in all honesty, uh, reflected across the political divide. On your point about the independent strategy that's now been agreed, let's look at the positives, let's look at the negatives. The positives are, and I think he will be going to his bed tonight, Hamza, reasonably happy that he's tried to, uh, he has successfully found a bit of unity with the party in accepting the amendment from, uh, I think it was Joanna Cherry, yep. uh, nod if you agree, you do, yep. that's great. I mean, uh, it's worth noting there were many, many, many amendments. Many amendments were amended, and, and I think the point here was to try and get the party on an even keel where they were all in agreement, and I think to that end, it is um, been a bit of a success for them. On the negative side, let, let, let's be clear, and Andy and I have been pretty open and vocal about this, I don't think this strategy for 2024 carries much water. Uh, with the people most importantly but also who's he going to be negotiating with uh, post a successful um, election where he wins 29 seats so I do think that's challenging I also think the big problem here and I've said it before on the podcast is that you know let's look at Rutherglen we all know that that was uh, had some unique elements to it but if if and I'm just putting a thumbs up for a quick second for a selfie with Andy and Callum which will no doubt be on social media very quickly unbelievable Um, if he doesn't reach that threshold of 29 what happens to his tenure how can he seriously continue as first minister when he's lost his own mandate now the other important thing about the amendment I mentioned earlier is that if this isn't successful, it's taken to 2026. Now, that's what I find most interesting, because as, as I've said in this podcast before, I think if you take it into 2026, that's where it should be put to the touch, and that's where it was put to the touch in 2011. 
But can Hamza be leader if he's been unsuccessful at the 2024 uh, general election? So I think this general election has all of a sudden become hugely significant for the future of Scottish politics. Isn't it something, though, of a difficult sell as well? Because Labour are saying, vote for us, get rid of the Tories. The SNP is, vote for us, it leads to independence talks that have already been ruled out by Labour and the Tories. So are they, are they still at a dead end, Andy? Well, I mean... The truth is that ever since the Supreme Court, which is about a year ago now, actually, ever since the Supreme Court said what they said, this has all been dead anyway. If you can't persuade Westminster to give you a referendum based on 45% of the vote, 40 MPs and 64 MSPs, then you're not going to persuade them to give you one anyway. So but, uh, so Jeff mentioned what, what failure would do to Hamza. Actually... Let's look at what success does, because success by today's measure is 29 MPs. That's success. That's a win, right? If they get 29 MPs, that means they've lost 19. If they lose 19, they've lost probably minimum 10% of their vote share, maybe a little bit more. So success is going from 45% to let's be charitable and say 35%, and success is going from 40 MPs to 29 MPs, and then they expect people to say, oh, that's... Well, that's a huge. That's a mandate. That's a huge win. Of course, you can negotiate independence. Well, look, come on. Mm. Obviously, that's totally ridiculous, right? You can't. You can't heave that many seats and lose that many seats and stand up and say this has been a great night for us, and now we're heading straight down to number ten to have a wee chat about how, how, and when we secede from the union. Now, I'm. And I'm saying that in all seriousness, not tongue-in-cheek. But they, of course, know all this. Everybody, you know, Hamza uh, and Stephen Flynn and all these, all these guys who are coming up with this plan, they know that, but they can't say that because they have to get their vote out. And to get the SNP vote out, you have to have independence on the table. So I'm not proposing an alternative. The only alternative is to say, guys, you know what? See, for the moment, independence is done and we're going to have to focus on just running stuff a little bit better yeah. as a devolved government. Well, and obviously, killer. that is not a sell, right? If you thought the conference was quiet today, try it after you give that message out. Mm-hmm. I know it's a minor point, perhaps. Was conference quiet today? Yes. Well, I, I, yeah, look. So I want to say, this is my go. first yeah. SNP conference in the thick of it. I've been on the outside before, kind of doing bits and pieces on the radio, just rounding about it. Today, I felt when Stephen Flynn was speaking first thing this morning and kind of rallying the troops in that opening address, even when they were, even when they were on the... Are you all right, Jeff? Jeff Tennant has gone down the wrong way. You're Sorry. Continue, Carlos. Even when they were on their feet, even when they were applauding him, it felt a bit lethargic. It felt a bit, I don't know, it felt a bit fatigued. And then when I went back up and was chatting to the journals, and I was like, yeah, how does this compare to last year, previous years, whatever? They were a bit like, ah, oh, it's quieter. There's not as many people. It feels just like the energy's not in the room. That was the take in the, in the press room, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I... So... The caveat being I got there in the middle of the debate that was taking place in the hall. Hey, it's not like Andy to show up late, is it? <laughs> I was on my time. All right, sorry. Yeah, Wasn't, yeah I was late by other standards. Um, <laughs> so when I got there, like there was absolutely nobody here. But they were, to be fair, they were all in the hall. Uh, and it got busier, obviously, when they came out. I think, though, um, it wasn't so much the number of people. It was the atmosphere. Mm. It was a little yeah, bit like the Tories last week, where nobody wants to see it, but everybody knows that the party's coming to an end at some point. As Rory McIlroy would say, they're all on the back nine at this point of their government. And, and it's not that different from the Tories last week. Time scales are a little bit different, but it's not that different. So I thought that, you know, the mood is low. Yeah, There's no question right. about that. The mood is quite low. Do you feel that, Jeff? Do you feel a, a kind of low energy vibe? from Because you weren't there today. You weren't in the room today, as it were. I wasn't there. And I had similar uh, feedback from, from uh, a lot of friends and colleagues that were there. <laughs> This has got to be difficult by definition. You just come off an absolute scalping in the by-election. It's not been the easiest of um, ten years for Hamza Yusuf so far. So there are going to be a lot of members that are questioning the direction of the party, and I understand that. 
But let's try and look at the positives or the opportunity to be positive. I think, and I'm looking forward to seeing what Hamza says in his uh, big conference speech in a couple of days, he has to respond to what has happened, not in polls, not in local by-elections, but in a Westminster by-election at the ballot box. And I think he will try and turn somewhat from what he's been doing so far and plant his mast firmly on a more centre-left ground. And, and he has to do it in a more unashamed way. And sometimes the only way you can do that is if you have tasted significant defeat. They have tasted significant defeat. And now they need to respond in those terms. And I thought there was really something interesting uh, in the Sunday Times um, today about their the views of the public on people earning more than £28,000 a year uh, being taxed more or less than the rest of the UK and an overwhelming majority said that they think they shouldn't be but one of those really interesting is that the SNP vote in that poll showed um, an overwhelming majority against that as well and this is what I'm talking about and I think some people on, on social media think that I'm sort of some sort of right wing zealot <laughs> I was there yeah. when we created the platform for 2007, which led to a lot of the success. I was part of it. I was a small part of this. I know what worked. And I don't think politics has fundamentally changed since then. It's won and lost on the centre ground. I said last week that Labour are making serious inroads on the centre ground to try and outflank the SNP, doing what we did to them, what they are now doing to us. The SNP has to respond to that. And I think there's been a lot about identity politics that doesn't necessarily mean much to anyone out there, particularly in a cost-of-living crisis. They have to respond to that, get to that centre-left uh, ground, get there quickly and make a fist of this next general election. I mean, <laughs> if you go back, this is not unusual. This is what happens to political parties that have been in power for a long time. If you go back 10 years... Um, the SNP are at that point saying the same things as the people out in the country are saying. They're speaking the same language. That's why they're gathering so many votes. That's why they're so popular, because the ordinary person in the street feels like they're speaking for them. And now on issues like whether it be gender recognition or tax, as Jeff just mentioned, or North, we're sitting here in Aberdeen, or drilling for... North Sea oil and gas. The government is no longer saying the same things as the people out on the street are saying. Now that is what happens to governments that have been in power for double digit numbers of years. It's actually a perfectly natural process. It is what happens and that is where we are. The SNP is no longer talking the same language as the people on the street are. Really, really interesting, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, this is Hollywood Sources, live from number 10 in Aberdeen, live in inverted commas, because obviously you're listening to it after we've recorded it. And part of the idea of being here is that we are surrounded, surrounded by brilliant, brilliant people. Stay with us on the podcast, because in the next part, you're going to hear from some of them. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hollywood Sources is proud to be brought to you by the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to Be Measured campaign. Did you know that the recommended weekly limit of 14 units of alcohol equates to five pints of beer at average strength, or one and a half bottles of wine, or 14 single measures of spirits? 
If you didn't know that, well, you're not alone, actually. The majority of people who choose to drink alcohol do not know how many units are contained in the most common drinks. Informed consumers, though, make more responsible choices. And so the Made to be Measured campaign is supporting people across Scotland to understand more about the units in their glass. Made in Scotland and enjoyed around the world, Scotch whisky should always be enjoyed responsibly. Find out more by visiting scotch-whisky.org.uk forward slash made to be measured. This is Hollywood Sources live from number 10 in Aberdeen. It's SNP conference. Everyone's having a pint. Everyone's having a nice time. Stephen Flynn's probably having an Aperol spritz, but we'll speak to him about that in a minute. Right, I, I am privileged to introduce you to Anna McLaren, um, Hello, Anna. who is, um, amongst many other things, um, a, a huge ambassador for energy transition. And we've just been talking about oil and gas and the importance of that to the Northeast economy. Well, Anna here is a young person who's uh, co-chair or of the Young Persons Energy Institute in Aberdeen and has a clear, clear vision uh, for how she thinks this situation should be tackled. So without any further ado, I'm going to introduce <laughs> Anna McLaren. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be on the show. It's great to see you. Uh, Jeff talks about your vision. What is it? What is your vision? My vision for young people. In an energy transition context. Yeah, I think my vision for young people is for there to be an opportunity. I think for young people, there needs to be the right guidance. There needs to be the right advice. And also, they need to be part of the decisions because for young people in the future, they're a massive part of where we're going. And in terms of energy transition, they are the future. They are going to be the ones who take on the energy industry in 2030 or 2045, 2050, etc. They're going to be the people who are going to be at the forefront of the decisions. So how do we make a space for them right now to be able to be part of the decisions that are going to be their future? And also, how can we kind of equip them to be ready for those decisions? Uh, Anna, tell uh, the podcast, the millions of viewers out there, um, or listeners, I should say, um, about your experience at COP26 and the Future 500 uh, project that you led. Yeah, so um, personally, from my own perspective, I had an interesting journey into the energy industry. I went on a documentary trip that we presented at COP26, and I travelled around the whole of Scotland, and went up to the Northern Isles, went down to the Central Belt, and I interviewed senior professionals and young professionals in the energy industry on what their ambitions are for net zero. And through that, it was enough to encourage me into the industry. Prior to that, I wasn't interested in the industry. So it was the conversations I had with those people that were enough to inspire me into the industry. And I think it's how can we capture those conversations to then inspire the next generation? I know there's a massive skills gap at the moment. So how can we inspire the next generation through the conversations and through the stories of the people and the passion that they drive? into the industry because that's really what will encourage the next generation to be part of our tackling the climate crisis and also being part of the energy transition. And so do you feel that there are politicians, that there is a government or a government in waiting, a political party that is doing that, that is saying, hi young people, come on down, it's all about you? Yeah, so I think it's really important to cover that across every political party. I don't, I don't think it's a job for one political party. I think as long as it's covered across every agenda, young people are a massive part of what the future is. So if it's not on the political agenda, then I don't see the political agenda being the future because young people are the future. So any agenda has to cover young people and the energy transition, the climate crisis is what young people are interested in. So if you're not covering that on your agenda, then you won't really get the young vote. Anna, love it. I absolutely love it. Thank you very much. Uh, it's very good of you to stop by the Hollywood Sources table, but we'll let you go and have another, we'll let you go and have another drink. Oh, we're just we're just going to get some pictures. To, are you taking some pictures? Anna wants some pictures taken. 
Uh, right, that's Anna. Nice one. So the idea, lads, is that we're sitting in the corner of this room with all kinds of people floating around. So we want to try and get Stephen. I said to Flynn to come on. I'm going to go and get some pork belly. You can keep that in if you want. Yeah, nice. I'll, I'll keep that in. Thanks. Uh, Angus, by the way, who we're referencing is uh, the editor of this podcast. Right, Jeff Aberdeen is returning. And in tow, he has got none other than Stephen Flynn, who I think just might have mouthed a bad word under his breath, but it's okay. He's popping on his headphones, he's taking his seat, and here we are at the table at number 10, Stephen Flynn. Hello. Well, hello, Carl. Are you well? I'm absolutely buzzing. Scotland have just qualified for Germany. Class, absolute class. This is why we did this podcast, because you get senior parliamentarians had a few beers and they'll say anything. It's absolutely rogue, honestly. Uh, Stephen Flynn, thanks very much for being here. Have you had a few Aperol spritz at this point? I've not. I've not. I've been behaving myself. Ian Blackford's over there. You and he could share one if you want to. I don't see why not. (laughs) Although I would prefer to have one to myself. I'm a bit greedy like that. (laughs) Have you had a good day? Oh, sorry, Andy. Did you want to make a joke? I was going to say he said he's a bit greedy and that explains why he's the first person to be on the podcast twice. Yes. Oh, Oh, yes. Yes, Yes, he is. Congratulations. Apart from us, obviously. I, I feel very, very privileged. Well, we feel very privileged, do. honestly. It's great you to see do. you. Because um, other than us, you're the main event. You're the second most important person. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, this is this is absolutely <laughs> radical. This sounds like it's going very well. <laughs> this is Lucky the end, listeners. This is the end of my broadcasting career, Stephen. It sounds you're like seeing it. it in real time. <laughs> uh, have you had a good day? Wasn't that good anyway? Right. <laughs> Did you watch time for the third time, Cal? <laughs> Have you had a good day today? I've had a class day. Are it's you been... feeling good? Yeah, no, I am. Uh, I think it was... Uh, you wanted me to be semi-serious here, all you guys. Yeah, yeah. We'll do a bit of serious, <laughs> then we'll have a laugh. No, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's been quite good. I think it was, uh, I think it was important to, to set the tone today in terms of the wider political landscape and the challenges that, that we've obviously faced. I think we, we did that quite well. Uh, we obviously got through the independence motion uh, in a very collegiate fashion, which was really good to see. Um, and, you know, now we just need to, to make sure that we're, we're focusing on the big issues facing the country, uh, cost of living crisis and independence and how the two of them, in my view, uh, are inextricably linked. Yeah, it was interesting to hear you say that this morning because it feels like a kind of a real pivotal kind of change in moment. It's almost as if it's like, right, independence process is done on to the next thing. Is that fair to say? Is that how you feel? Is that how you're kind of sizing it up in your own head? Oh, I don't know if it's a case of setting aside the independence aspects like I say I think it is so inextricably linked you know energy prices mortgage prices food prices it's all related directly to decisions which have been taken uh, at Westminster over over so many decades but I think it is important that we're in that space of of talking about the biggest issues facing people today that is the cost of living crisis of course that is the economy uh, and the challenge for us whether we like it or not is to make sure that we are talking about these things day in and day out because that's what the people want us to be doing and you know we have a pretty compelling story to tell um, I actually I thought it was good that you said that this morning because I think there's a lot the Scottish Government and uh, the SNP could say on the cost of living crisis I mean the cost of living crisis has not been well dealt with by the UK Government um, their approach is exceptionally one dimensional which is basically let's get inflation as far down as we can and then call an election and see what happens that's pretty much the strategy doesn't really go much further Um, and I think you guys could do a lot with that Um, but obviously what's going to get written up in tomorrow's papers and what's going to have been on tonight's news which none of us have seen obviously um, is about the independence stuff and I I mean you know irrespective of the nuances of the debate and most versus majority and all that sort of stuff I am trying to picture the day after the general election when the SNP have achieved that majority, 29 seats, and are then saying, we've got that, we've got 29 seats, that's therefore a mandate for negotiation. And you're on Times Radio in the morning with a guy called Cal MacDonald. I don't know how that interview goes when you've lost, what, 19 MPs maybe 10 to 15% of the vote and the line is that's a mandate for independence how does it go? Well, firstly, like I hope that Callum is still there, uh, and after tonight's podcast, that there is a lot of nothing to buy about that. At this point, uh, <laughs> but you, you know, notwithstanding that, 
um, look, uh, you've, you've probably been a little bit presumptuous there, and I think a lot of people are being very presumptuous that, that the SNP are going are gonna to lose seats at the next election. There's, there's undoubtedly a huge challenge in, in the West Central Belt and maybe the wider Central Belt, um, and we need to rise to that challenge. There's all to play for, uh, and when there's all to play for and you're a politician and you're a political party, you need to be willing to fight. You need to be willing to to come to the table with clear and coherent arguments that the public buy into. Uh, I think that we've certainly got time to do that. I think we need to get into the space of doing that, and I think that conference can be the, the facilitator to achieve that. And, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing what Hamza's got to say on, on Tuesday as, as we go through that process. Yeah, Stephen, I... Um, obviously, we're doing a rolling interview here, so you wouldn't have heard what I said earlier on. I thought that... Uh, you know, one of the positives of today was that we had a unified party position on the strategy for independence, and I think that is welcome if you're of an SNP persuasion. But I want to take the other side of what Andy said and ask you quite a direct question. Andy's question was on the presumption that you get the 29 seats. If you don't get the 29 seats and you're at 28 or anything below that, Surely then that means that the leader that has put forward that proposition would have to stand down because they would have lost their own mandate by their own words. Jeff, you, you can probably tell what I'm about to say here, judging by how closely and furiously you're looking at me. Uh, we are not going to be in the space uh, that, that you've depicted there. Um, and I don't say that out of any misplaced perception over over where we are. I know the challenges uh, that we've faced as a party over the last six, seven months. I know the, the problems that there's been, but... You know, we are focused, 100% focused on making sure that we win the general election and we win it well. I, this talk about losing seats, I want to keep all the seats we have and I want to gain. I want to be looking at Douglas Ross's seat. I want to be looking at some other seats uh, in Scotland so that we can get to a position where we are able to say quite assertively to the UK government that once again the people of Scotland have voted for this uh, and you know we've added some more meat onto those bones today in relation to not just the fact that you want a referendum but that the powers over that should rest in Edinburgh rather than in London that powers over some of the key economic drivers be that energy be that migration be that single market access that they rest in Edinburgh rather than London and you know if Keir wants to come north and simply say no to all of those things, as it looks like it's going to happen, given what Ian Murray has said, with no more uh, devolution, then then bring it on. Let's let's have those divided lines and let's uh, let's take the battle to them on those on those terms. Yeah, I knew you weren't going to respond in any other way. And very well done. It was a bit of fun there, just to see if you say something <laughs> controversial. It seemed like everyone was having a laugh. Let me try one more because we're in the spirit of this very in- informal Hollywood sources. So let me try one more. I thought um, Hamza actually did very well today and I must put uh, doff my cap as they say Uh, I think he handled a difficult situation very well particularly in the light of the by-election but let's just assume we're into 2026 um, thereafter and independence has not been resolved um, in terms of the result of 24 however however it goes are we going to see Stephen Flynn standing for the Scottish Parliament in 2026? <laughs> Firstly, because uh, I think this is important, uh, not genuinely important, I, we'll, 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 yes I'm, I'm no. going to strip some hilarity out of this podcast. A yes or no, can I, can I just, uh, I'll get there in a sec, but can I just say, like, see, uh, see watching Humza the, the, last, the last week or so, yeah. Um, I'm a bit in awe of how he's been able to do what he's done. I've obviously been having discussions with him uh, in the run-up to conference about party policy um, and the fact that he's able to, to manage that and deal with that and do what he did today on a political level whilst dealing with the, the horrific personal circumstances that him and Nadia are having to deal with. Um, I've said it numerous times, but it's a mark of true leadership uh, and it is, it is a... It's it's phenomenal to watch. Um, in relation to, to my own future, I think last time I was on this podcast, you asked me the same question. I'll give you the same answer, Jeff. He did. He did. <laughs> he, right. did he did. You're right. Uh, some of us can remember, probably because we've not had copious amounts of tenants. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all, all Scottish politicians uh, of uh, the nationalist persuasion want to be elected to, to Holyrood. If that time comes for me in the future, then then I'll certainly welcome that. But my focus is very much on the general election and, and making 
making sure that, that Aberdeen, Aberdeen South to the Scottish National Party. And in that regard, I'm sure I can count upon Jeff Aberdeen's vote. <laughs> To be, to, be, to be confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, look, see, on, uh, uh, just again to draw it back to a more serious matter, I, I, I mean, you know, I'll probably say more about this outside of a pub venue in the future, but I actually think for all the wrong reasons, albeit, and for all unfortunate reasons, I think this is the week that Hamza Youssef jumped into that role of being First Minister and brought something totally different to the table awful circumstances mm. but actually it, it could be the making of him this week I think he's performed incredibly anyway that's probably for no, it's more for another day let me ask uh, because Jeff's been so nasty to Stephen and because actually to be fair they're sitting right next to each other and I thought Stephen could have hooked him by now I know, yeah. at this point I mean, fair, it's, it's perfect not, it's, it's perfect for that I mean listeners can't see this but the right hook is on I mean it is, it's absolutely on at this point and it, and it also goes without so, saying it's not the first time Jeff sat next to a senior SNP politician <laughs> And I've got right in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I have got, but I've got, a, I've got, a, I've got another. I've got a different question, which Stephen will like more. Oh, good. Because it's been irking me a little bit this week, and Stephen mentioned it about um, Labour's devolution strategy. Um, I mean, we've said before in the podcast. I've said before, Labour have got two target votes: soft, soft Tories and soft Nats. To put it like that, um, soft Tories are kind of effectively one back. To get softer SNP votes on board, you've got to offer something on devolution, and Labour look like they don't want to. It is like having a penalty with no goalkeeper and kicking the ball in the other direction. So when, when you hear that from Labour, I mean, genuinely, it must please you strategically to know they're not going there, because that would hurt you if they did go there. I think what it shows me is that the more things change, the more they remain the same. And, you know, that inherent arrogance that the Labour Party had about the Scottish people voting for them, whilst they may have lost uh, consecutive elections, is still very much there. And Ian Murray setting out that Scottish Parliament will not have any more powers, I think, is, is quite astonishing because we know from all the poll and all the social attitude surveys that the people of Scotland, whether you're a nationalist or otherwise, want more power in Holyrood. Um, they want the parliament to be beefed up and they want the, the big levers of power in terms of being able to deal with the economic situation, the cost of living crisis, to be in the hands of, of politicians in, in Edinburgh. So for, for Labour to, to make that pitch, I think, I think it's arrogance, but I also think it's telling to the fact that ultimately, you know, that they are a unionist party. Um, they, they believe in the, the primacy of, of Westminster. And that's, that's not something which, which I will ever be able to, to comprehend. Um, but as I said earlier, if that's the divider lines that they want to go on, then, uh, then bring it on. Um, is this the first time you've been in number 10, Stephen? <laughs> no, it's a cracking venue, by the way. It's uh, a lovely local spot. <laughs> Not rising to you. Go on. Yeah, no, I can tell. I can tell. There's, uh, there's been, been more parties in number 10 than there has been in here, though, to be fair. Very good. Very That's very strong, actually. Um, Stephen, thank you very much. We've massively interrupted your evening with complete okay. chaos and nonsense. I, I, would, I would thank both yourself, Callum, and yourself, Andy, and given Jeff isn't here, I'm not going to thank him. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Stephen Flynn, Cheers, thank, guys. thank you. That was Stephen Flynn, who's the SNP's Westminster leader. Very generous with his time, and yes, the first person to be on this podcast twice. Uh, he, was, he, he wouldn't be drawn, Jeff. You were away at this point. I asked him if this was the first time he'd been number 10. And he didn't, um, <laughs> he didn't bite. He's very, very good, this, good very good. Uh, right, so yeah, we've got a whole, we've got a room full of people who are drinking and schmoozing, and what we're basically doing is going into the crowd, plucking people out, and then having a good chat with them. Who are you, who are you blowing kisses at, Jeff? David Wilson, great guy actually. Right. He's taking forward the first energy incubator and scale-up hub in Scotland, in Alton's industrial industrial state in Aberdeen. There you go. Fantastic, David Wilson, great project, Cheers, David. Right, who have we got sat down at the table with us? Hello. Hello. Jenny. I'm Jenny. I'm Jenny Stanning. Nice to meet you, Jenny. What's, what do you do? Uh, I'm the External Relations Director at Offshore Energies UK. So we are the leading trade association for the offshore energy industry. Nice. Uh, 400 members and we do hydrogen, CCS, oil and gas and uh, offshore wind. CCS is carbon capture and storage. CCS yeah. is carbon capture and storage. Now, I was very keen to have uh, Jenny on today because... I just want to interrupt because the Sunday Times of John Boothwood has just delivered a pint of tenants to Jeff Good service. Good service. Brilliant. Brilliant. I was really keen for Jenny to come on. I'm not going to go to the old 
oil and gas arguments that I've made uh, on numerous times in this podcast. Yep. But uh, for our listeners around uh, the country, uh, Jenny is fantastic at what she does, represents a whole breadth of members that really are uh, an industry that I believe will undertake the green industrialization of our country. And I, I really wanted to, to hear from Jenny how big you think this opportunity is, not just for the northeast of Scotland, but for Scotland and the entire UK before us. Try and put it into uh, words that would, would symbolise just how important this is for our economy and indeed our ability to get to net zero. So it's massive. It's a massive opportunity. We, we put out some research a couple of weeks ago that said uh, we've identified a £200 billion opportunity in offshore energies. Wow. And for us, what's exciting is £100 billion of that has been sanctioned already, but there's still £100 billion up for grabs and that's why it's so important that we do what Jeff has been banging on about for months now on this podcast which is get the investment climate right here in the UK and in Scotland so we can capitalise on that opportunity because £100 billion worth of opportunity in offshore energy is exciting for everybody. For the big operators yes who are involved in oil and gas but also across the energy spectrum into wind and to hydrogen and carbon, carbon capture and storage but also for the supply chain that sits underneath it and it's the supply chain that supports the jobs that Jeff has been talking about for months now uh, and that's what's so exciting to us. Huge opportunity here. Is it easy to pinpoint something or a couple of things that are in the way? What, what needs to get out of the way? What would unleash the £100 billion? Pounds? Stability. It's not stable here. It, it doesn't feel like it. people don't have confidence to come here and invest because our tax regime changes, uh, our regulation changes, uh, and people aren't confident to come and invest here if they don't feel welcome. So actually, people need to know that offshore energy is something that both governments in Holyrood and in Westminster want to get behind. And that £200 billion pound opportunity should be something that's celebrated and championed by both governments in, in Westminster and up in Hollywood too. Really interesting. It's really interesting that, that it's just stability, it's certainty. That's the thing. And in, in my own mind, naively, that feels easy. What, Jeff, what is missing? What would provide certainty? I, I think words matter. Words matter from yeah. all of our politicians, regardless of their uh, political persuasion. And, you know, I moved back to Aberdeen after 14 years in Edinburgh and London, and I was... Uh, this is pre, just during COVID, sorry, and it was pretty miserable. I don't know if Jenny agrees with that. The, 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 the long-term outlook for the energy industry didn't look too good. It was bleak. Since then, we've had uh, the awarding of the Scotland licences, um, 28 gigawatts of offshore wind power. For anyone that doesn't know, and I didn't know before that, that it's a hell of a lot. And, uh, you know, Aberdeen, where we are s sat today, is within... Uh, 100 nautical miles of 60% of those licences. We've recently had carbon capture and storage, the Acorn project at St Fergus approved. We have had oil and gas licences in Rosebank approved recently. And that is really important because that stabilises and protects the critical mass that we have and skills and energy supply chain companies that will be so crucial if we are to accelerate to new, uh, new energies, new and green energies and get there within the net zero targets. I believe it's a win-win. I know that some people out there might disagree with that, but this could really be the hub of the green industrialisation of Scotland and indeed the UK. And I think we have to do everything that we can to encourage our politicians to understand the scale of the opportunity. There's another big problem as well. I mean, we've, you know, we've, we've talked quite a bit in the podcast about the uh, failure of politicians and uh, others to move beyond the binary argument that this is either about hydrocarbons or it's about renewables, and, and that's, neither of those are correct. The other big problem in, in this industry, though, and the reason why we may miss the opportunity that exists and why we may already be starting to miss the opportunity that exists is the, is the way the governments work together. So the relationship between the Scottish government and the UK government is a problem for this industry. This is an industry... Energy policy is in one of those grey areas of devolution that's a little bit reserved and a little bit devolved. And if the two governments are not working well together and singing from the same hymn sheet, it causes exactly that sort of market uncertainty that we're talking about. So, uh, Jeff is right, words matter. I was, by, by the way, I was going to say words matter. He said this. I was, hey, I was going to say this. Anyway, Synergy. Um, Jeff is I'm right that words first. matter, but, uh, but the, other thing, <laughs> the other thing that matters as well as words is that both of our governments are using the same words and saying the same thing. Uh, and at the moment, my issue with it is that 
energy policy has at times been the victim of point scoring and is at risk from being the further victim of point scoring and actually that doesn't help either of these two governments to be honest and Jenny does that mean then that uh, sort of in a party conference context that you are looking to try to convey that message is that what this weekend is all about for you the next couple of days yeah absolutely so we've been at all of the big party conferences over the last kind of four weeks it's been a tiring time for OEUK but we've been there championing our member industry yeah. Uh, but yeah one of the things we ask about is is consensus around energy and it is so political at the moment so you're absolutely right one of the one of the key things for us is to try and get policies that are made that transcend uh, the parliamentary life cycle so our investors make decisions based on 10 to 15 year uh, spans not five year four year parliamentary cycles so one of the big messages we're taking to politicians from all parties is it would be great if they could take the politics out of energy and work together for those 90,000 jobs up in Scotland 220,000 jobs across the UK so great to see that Jenny thank you so much it's good you're very, very very grateful for letting us interrupt your evening at the pub thank uh, you thank back to the bar thank yes, you quite right too uh, thanks Jenny nice one do you know what's really interesting actually hearing from Jenny there is, is how many issues more and more people are saying we need to get past the short term five year stuff actually things need a long term whether it's the NHS whether it's energy whatever these things are all becoming too political and it's not working actually we need to look to the long term energy is so fascinating I, I'm Jeff I, you are you always you're effervescent about energy on this podcast and that's fine and I get it and when you're here in Aberdeen and you speak to these people you, they are exactly the same there is overwhelming enthusiasm for the potential of this place and there's that pent up frustration that it's not being tapped yeah I, I think that's a fair comment look I have um, lived and breathed this for the last few years particularly yeah. and I speak to supply chain companies in particular around the company. They are the lifeblood of our economy. These guys are the ones that have got the innovation, the R&D, the high-value manufacturing, the components that support offshore uh, installations. Right now, it's oil and gas, but they want to diversify. Almost every one of them I meet wants to diversify to green hydrogen. They want to diversify to offshore wind, floating and fixed, and see what the benefits and the spin-offs could be from carbon capture and storage. Right now, there just isn't that root map. And if I could make an argument for depoliticization, he says very carefully, <laughs> nicely done. Uh, of any issue yeah. linking to what Andy said earlier, it would be energy because we need grid connections, grid capacity. That's the big thing. We need port capacity expansion as well and optimization. These things have to happen if we're to really be a global leader in the race to net zero and I think that our energy industry could be the forefront of that if we could just get that clarity from both of our governments um, I don't have anything else to say about that but I do I want Jeff to say effervescent <laughs> effervescent very nice not done. bad actually not bad that word was sponsored by Tenant uh, right here we are in the number 10 pub in Aberdeen we're having a whale of a time I have to say we're just rambling on uh, chatting the chat this is this is actually what it feels like to be at one of these events I'm not being funny but having done a few schmooze fests in my time you are actually with us as we're basically working the room that's what's happening right now alright let's bring in Lucy Dunn who writes for The Spectator on various Scottish affairs hello Lucy hello how are you doing yeah good thanks what have you brought with you is that a little Sauvignon Blanc it is probably my second if I'm being she just put up a hand that said five that was a five that was a high five on the Sauvignon Blanc Uh, right Lucy your take on today so Dave Day one of SMP conference. It was it was Independence Motion Day. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite Independence Day. Uh, what what's your takeaway from today? I think so. Independence strategy was obviously on the top of the agenda. I think there were some interesting takes on how that should be achieved. We saw some speakers who were putting forward some quite unorthodox views, um, and uh, I think that it does basically show that the SNP membership is is a is a very broad church. It's very divided. It's got a lot of people from different backgrounds and who want to push um, certain ways of working. Um, and I think that. It was, a, it was a very pleasant debate in, in many ways because it felt people were coming from either side of this sort of, you know, the, the, the spectrum of, of what they could say and, and, and agreeing with one another and disagreeing, but very pleasant. Um, but I, I do think that 
clearly it shows that there's not as much as we've agreed on a sort of set pathway that the SME have agreed on a sort of set way forward it doesn't feel quite like it has the real full support and I think that we saw that with a lot of different opinions being expressed today I think when you say unorthodox views there was a man <laughs> on the stage at one point who suggested uh, treasonous action and I couldn't quite work out what, what he was on about he sounds like one of my Twitter followers <laughs> <laughs> there was also somebody who was talking about flatulence in a trance that was a, that was a be a well that was a bit of a rogue moment. That was, the Sauvignon Blanc really had its say there. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting. It was an interesting day, Lucy. What, what about the overall atmosphere this summer? We're going to chat to John Boothman from the Sunday Times in a minute because it'll be interesting to compare to like past conferences. What, how did how did you feel being there, being in the venue? Today's conference felt quite empty. It felt as though there wasn't really the same... En- I mean, I've, I, what I would confess right, right now is that I've not been at an SP conference before then, oh, well, so same, I can't compare it to, to, the, to the previous. But having been at the, the Conservative conference, which in, in many ways the boys are kind of in the same situation as the SNP, they've both been in government for a number of years and they're trying to convince people that right now their, their, leader, their new leaders on both sides have got the vision possible to, to turn the country around. Um, I, th- I think that the SME conference felt much flatter than the Tory conference. Wow, okay. and, and, and I would say that the Tory conference in and of itself wasn't the most upbeat thing in the world either. I, I think clearly there is a real understanding that people want to see a different vision um, in politics. They want to see people that are genuinely going to help them. And I think that there's a, a, a growing frustration with talking about things like, like the, the culture wars when there are costs of living problems and situations on people's doorsteps. They want to see their whole lives transform and I think it's very difficult for them to find faith in a party that has led the country for so long and not really done that up until now. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely fair point. Uh, the night is yet young, Lucy. Are, are you staying here all night? Are you on to the next thing? <laughs> um, I, I will stay here for a little bit longer, yeah. I'm quite enjoying, quite enjoying the swapping you. So. <laughs> yeah, quite right. So Jeff's paying for it. So yeah, you might some idiots stay. are paying for this. I can't believe how many people have found up. This is gutting. Um... <laughs> I want to just make one point uh, in defence of my former employers and say, when I was coming up in the SNP, we used to have our national conferences in Inverness, in Perth, and in Aviemore. That was the three areas that we had our national conferences. And what a riot it was, incidentally, it was brilliant. And we'd, you know, fill quite modest amphitheatres and then we'd have our fringes at the different locations in and around hotels and bars and so on in the the vicinity since 2014 it started to become something a lot bigger in about 2012 I felt actually you know 2011 was the election and then thereafter it became uh, notably uh, bigger but they've grown into a huge huge party and I think these comments about being empty and, and quieter, there's no doubt I think that's true. I, I wasn't there today, but I'm hearing it from everyone saying that that's true. It's still quite a strong party, let's be clear, yep. with membership. It's just that the venues are so big. I think it's only Aberdeen, uh, the new P&J Live, which is the largest uh, uh, conference centre, and I think one of the largest in the UK, but definitely the largest in Scotland, and the SSE Hydro in Glasgow that can take them. I know. <laughs> can we get... Can, for this story. must be closing time. I can't do this much longer. It's, it's, Thanks for the story, Uncle Jeff. It's time for port and cigars. Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> you, said it would be, you said it was going to be 45 minutes. It's, We're running about two hours now. It's quarter past ten, Jeff. It's quarter past ten. The toddlers are still I think, uh, I think we're halfway through. We don't. Lucy, thank you so much. Thank you for having go me. Get another you're free to go, You're free to go. You're free to go. You're free to go. Uh, Lucy <laughs> from Spectators, thank this you. This is just getting out of control at this it's, point. What, what you are hearing, podcast listeners, subscribers, friends, family, loved ones, former employers, people who are reviewing contracts even as you listen, is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is the night at the pub. Right, we've got John Boothman from the Sunday Times on his way over, which is a good moment. Here's Big John. How are we, John Boothman's joined us. John, hello. How are we? Yeah, good. Now we've got some sanity on the podcast at last. Right. <laughs> I'll do the jokes. <laughs> How do... <laughs> How did you find today, John? Day one of SNP Conference 2023. 
I thought it was a bit flat, in fact, worse than that. I mean, I, I, one of the things I find really, really interesting about this, right, is, and actually it was the same during the by-election, in order for the SNP to thrive, the SNP needs buzz, it needs energy, it needs excitement, it needs all of these things. And I, could, I go back a very long way. I can certainly go back to the 1990s and even when the SNP was still growing, Alex Hammond was the leader. There started to be a buzz about it. There always were a lot of by-elections, for example, at that time. I see Ian Blackford here. He was in a by-election in Paisley, and that's the first time that I met him, actually. And there was a buzz about the SNP. You then went into the early noughties, and the SNP had by that time become the second biggest party at Holyrood. And there was a buzz about the SNP. It was doing things. Uh, we then got to 2007, and that absolutely famous and historic election where the SNP took power. Jeff and Aberdeen. the organisation was absolutely fantastic. We then moved on after that. There was the, the majority SNP administration. There was 2014 in the referendum. Jeff Aberdeen. And Jeff 2015, Aberdeen. Uh, Aberdeen. when the party... <laughs> You know, wiped wiped the boards with uh, with Labour, yeah. and here here we are now, and something's happened in the SNP, and it's not just Hamza Youssef. You've got a party that's having a crisis of confidence about policy. It's got a crisis of confidence about its organisation for the first time in that by-election in Rutherglen. Labour had a better organisation for the SNP despite its 72,000 members. And you've got a crisis of personnel. If I've met one person in the last fortnight who said to me, Hamza Yusuf should have had Kate Forbes as the Deputy First Minister and the Finance Minister, people who never said anything at the sort of time, frankly, I've met half a dozen. That's interesting. This, uh, John and I had a, a right chinwag earlier on at the venue, actually, about all this sort of stuff with two unnameable MSPs, actually, who we will not name. Um, but the other sources, thing, Andy. The other, sources. The, the other thing that is interesting as well, on top of all that, I think the big change that has happened as well is that we had a situation where five, ten years ago, and I have to, I, I, it's bloody him again, isn't it? It's when he was in the bloody government, anyway. Jeff um, Aberdeen. Five, ten years ago, you may not have liked what the SNP were doing, but they were doing it quite well, right? Now, you may not like what the SNP are doing, and they're not doing it well. They were a government that was competent, even if you didn't like their direction of travel. Now they're a government that appears, and again, let's not cast too many aspersions, but perception is everything, as we've said before. They're a government that appears to be incompetent, that appears that everything that they touch turns to dust at the moment, and that, combined with everything that John has just said, is leading to the problems that we've got. I don't disagree with any of that. I mean, one of the things that I'm very big on is that, you know, in the past year and a half, the SNP has lost so many senior figures from key places. Nicola Sturgeon, John Swinney, Ian Blackford, Peter Murrell. I mean, what some, one, one SNP person said to me last week that there was a Murrell-sized hole at the centre of the by-election. Right. Uh, people like Mike Russell, who, although he's still the party president, stepped back. And do you know what? The people who, by and large, replaced these people, and I don't mean any disrespect for them, but they don't have either the ability, the capability, the contacts, and more important, the authority to actually change things. Look, maybe, and if we're going to give Hamza Yusuf any of the benefit of the doubt, this is kind of little to do with him. Maybe there's just something fundamental happening. I was really struck yesterday by a comment by, I think it was the lead researcher in Savanta who had carried out that poll yesterday, who simply pointed pointed out that a year ago in June, June 2022, the SNP were 21 points ahead of Labour in the Westminster election, and now they're even. It's gone. It's eroded. It's completely gone. I, I recognise that analysis, but one thing that is not deniable, and I said this to, to Hamza in our podcast, you retweeted it last week, the, the, the reversal was starting well before Hamza took office, and I think we've got to give him some sort of relief for that. It was starting in uh, December last year. Uh, there was a couple of polls out that started to show the inkling away from the SNP and toward the Labour Party. They went, we then had a number of different local by-elections that showed that same reversal. The problem is, for Hamza, is that 
he, the buck stops with him, as he has so famously said. Doesn't matter what went on before, he now is responsible for what happens going forward. So he has few opportunities. Not many, few opportunities. Now his big confidence speech is one of them. How has he responded to the reversal in Rutherglen? How does he believe the political discourse is going to be dominated going into next year when we face a general election? Relevance for the SNP at a UK general election has always been an issue. Perhaps not an issue in 2015 after the 2014 referendum, which had global attention. <laughs> Jeff Aberdeen. No, thanks for that. <laughs> I was a mo- I, I, just to, for listeners, I was a very small part in that. Guys, that's when you were meant to say bigger part in that. No, all right, okay, fine. Anyway, no. So he has to try and navigate, strategize the next election. And and I'm not going to repeat what we've said already in this podcast. I find it really difficult in a Keir Starmer versus Rishi Sinek cost of living crisis election. We're going to go in there with this uh, de facto negotiation type thing I understand why he feels he has to and he should take credit for trying for being able to unify the party today but I think this is very challenging and I'd like to see from him some real public policy initiatives in his conference speech that say do you know what we know what Labour are doing to us this is how we'll respond. But you, you've got, look, you know, not not to dwell too much on the problems the SNP have got, but, you know, I find it really interesting when I talk to more senior members of the party, more long-standing than even Jeff here, but I'm talking about people 30, 40, 50 years in the party, and I get a real sense of frustration from them, a real sense that they're watching, like, sand flowing through their fingers, all the work of all the years they've been involved, and then then I meet younger people in the party and I find that they're finding it quite hard being on the doorsteps and being criticised in the way they are. Uh, you know, for example, about the police investigation all during the Rutherglen by-election. And that's very, very difficult to go and work in politics and elections for that. If they, there is some opportunity for the SNP, part of it perhaps lies in... You know, the Labour Party hasn't exactly set out its stall in any great detail and in any great way, and they need some ideas. And the second thing that's worth saying is that I would worry, despite the fact that their organisation was very good in Rutherglen, that the Labour Party overextends itself in Scotland. It hasn't got a big membership. It's still lacking in expertise and people on the ground. And if they're going to target 28 seats or anything like that, that's a big, big ask um, if you don't have the people to go out there on the ground and chop the doors. Thanks very much John, great to see you. Uh, that's John Boothman from the Sunday Times, absolute legend, absolute legend. Thank you John, cheers, have a good one. I, I love that guy. I do as well. I've known him for so many He's years. Brilliant. He was the runner for the BBC yeah. and I always used to catch up in the conference and he'd be shouting to me get Alec here, get John Swinney yeah. here, get Nicola there. It was brilliant. Do you know what, and keep this in the He's podcast. Such a great guy. John Boothman will regularly call me just for a goff, just for a chat oh. about what's going on. I love it. I it's can't great. get enough. Legend. I cannot get enough. Jeff just nicked some pork belly from Andy. I've never seen him look so angry. We're going to have to either bleep that or take the explosive Not an angry off, person, but I'm, you know, that you okay? poor is pretty good. That just nice, sort of feel, like there's a, it's a bit, you know, I mean, he is kind of, he's put this show on and he's stuff. Paid, and he's so, paid for that pork belly. Well, yeah, it's not just him that's paid for it, to be honest with you. <laughs> In any case, this has become the, uh, like, this, the after-party event of conference, and we've taken you, Hollywood Sources listeners, behind the scenes at it to join us in our little booth in the corner. Jeff, thanks for having us. It's been a lot of fun, actually. Thank you. No, I and listen, one thing for the listeners, we're trying out new things. Yes. And we're, we don't know if this is going to work and if the listeners like it or not. But one thing I know about our listeners is they're not shy about telling us yep. whether they like it or not. So Good. please do. If this sort of thing works, we'll do it again at another conference. We'll do it again in other circumstances. So please let us know. We're, yep. we're, we're trying things out and, and we're seeing how it goes. We like all sorts of feedback and the best bit of feedback we've had in six months of this podcast 
was in response to one of the clips that got tweeted last week because we like to tweet some clips and uh, a listener very kindly responded to that tweet by calling us a shitey bourgeois pish cast now you know my my I mean I thought long and hard about the feedback because it's important to think about feedback you've, you've got, got to take it on board you've got to take it seriously you know, and it. my and final analysis of that was I can cope with the shitey right I can cope with the bourgeois but to call this a pish cast you know that it shows absolutely no understanding of where modern media is going so all I've got to say to that listener I'd like to thank you very much for your feedback. <laughs> and can I say we need to get him on? Because that is poetic genius. I was laughing. As you guys know, yeah, I yeah. screenshotted it, sent it to you, went, this guy's a brilliant... That is brilliant. Didn't you read it at 4 a.m. or something? Uh, yeah, I know. Up? I was feeding the baby. But that is genius. <laughs> Seriously. I love that kind of feedback. Because at the end of the day, there's no chance of us getting ahead of our station because we don't get paid any money. <laughs> right. So... <laughs> We might as well have the negative feedback and roll with it. I'm and I love that. The guy's a genius. Whoever wrote that is absolutely brilliant. How, uh, day how, how long is this now, Cal? It's about three days. Right. Uh, right, Jeff and Andy, thank you, lads. This has been a lot of fun, actually. Uh, good. And as Jeff says, you know, we are, we're, we are about like seven months old as a podcast. We are still trying stuff out. We're still working out what you like. Well, we're so glad that you are there. We're so glad that we've been able to take you behind the scenes at the SMP conference. And bear with us, because in a couple of days, we will be reviewing viewing Hamza Yusuf's big speech as well. What's it got in store remains to be seen, but we will be here to analyse it, of course. Thank you for listening, and we will speak to you very soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.